Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Downey. You can Sean Fitz, and we are at the halfway point of this 2021 Penn State football season. The Nittany Lions now at 5-1, following the 23-20 loss Saturday night at Kinnick Stadium. We broke that down late Saturday night on the podcast here and had a lot to say. Obviously, that conversation really centered on the tale of two quarterbacks, Sean Clifford, and what happened after he left and Taquan Roberson took over as the quarterback. We're going to address where things are right now from a health perspective. That conversation starts with Sean Clifford, of course, but they've got a week off here in terms of game day preparation and a Saturday game. So it's an opportunity to heal up. That's what you hear from coaches every time they head into a bye week. Penn State has a few players, and we'll talk about that and, and really the ramifications if they're not available, uh, what that might mean moving forward in Big Ten action. Sean, we're going to hear from Brandon Marcello, who does a great job covering the national college football landscape for 24-7 sports. And we have a lot to talk about with the Big Ten because half of the new top 10 is Big Ten conference members. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Just uh, you got uh, Iowa there at number two. Of course, Georgia hopped everybody with uh, with Alabama losing, but you got Iowa there at number two. Uh, you go on to Ohio State at number six, who I think is definitely in control of their own destin destiny in the Big Ten. Of course, they get Penn State at home, have the big matchup with Michigan at the end of the year. And I honestly, if you put them on a neutral field with Iowa, I don't even think it's close. So um, that's uh, that's definitely interesting. Michigan looks uh, looks good right now. Got a big win. I can't believe we're saying this. A big win at Nebraska, um, who actually looks fairly decent themselves. And then Michigan State, obviously, the, the probably the surprise of the Big Ten at number 10. So you go through that AP poll, and there's a lot of Big Ten in there. And speaking of surprises, you're still here, man. That's uh, that's unbelievable. I'm waiting for your wife to just, just burst through the wall like the Kool-Aid man, no offense, and say it's time to go. But uh, you're past your due date. You're still here. I I, I applaud you for, for being as cool, calm, and collected as you are. Oh, it's it's a total facade. Everything you see is not really how I feel behind these eyes. I am terrified, but I'm also excited. And yes, I will let our, our listeners know right now and our viewers, hopefully on YouTube, uh, this is going to be my last episode for a little bit. A bi-week baby pre premonition I had back in March came. Uh, thank you very much, Olive, for letting us cover these first six games in depth. I'm going to have to step away for just a little bit, but it's a bi-week. So you're going to hear from some other guests uh, hopefully Mark Brennan has a chance to hop on the podcast again, and I'll be back before long, but I'll put it out there now. Sean, thank you. And if you do see my wife lurking over my shoulder, please stop the podcast and let me know. And please don't tell her I called her the Kool-Aid man. Um, yeah, that's great planning on your part by week. My, my two kids, uh, one is after right after signing day in February. The other is during the new dead period in July. So we did, did a pretty good job. I got to say so myself. Well, you did a damn good job and you've done a good job since then. So we've got a lot to talk about in terms of Penn State. We're going to do that coming up in just a bit. We're waiting for Brandon Marcel to join us, join us though. So I don't want to go too far down the conversation, Sean, but when you look at what remains uh, for this Penn State schedule, uh, you've got the trip to Ohio State coming up on October 30th. Of course, they'll come out of the bye October 23rd back in Beaver Stadium against an Illinois team that certainly looks like you should be able to manage them. But let's face it, the conversation moving forward, we have not heard from Franklin since uh, Kinnick Stadium. So let's make that very clear. Uh, and you know how Franklin is with injuries, but I want to make sure our listeners are all on the same page with us. 
we don't know anything more about the Sean Clifford health situation coming out of the Iowa game than we did when we talked to you last episode. And that will be the defining narrative, theme, question, everything until this team gets back on the field against Illinois. And to be honest, beyond that, because I'm just not sure against Illinois if we're going to see Sean. I mean, if you're expecting an, uh, an update from Franklin, it's not going to happen. With with Ohio State on the schedule three weeks from now, I mean, you you got a better chance of I don't, I don't even I don't even have a I don't even have a metaphor in there um, because it's just not going to happen. So um, it, it it's one of those things where obviously it didn't look good after the game. You're, you're thinking ribs, um, which to be honest with you, that's just step one because it could be all over the place. Could be back in a couple of weeks. Could be a couple of months. You don't know. Um, and and for a position like that, obviously he's a tough kid. Um, he's he he takes some hits and, and he's kept on ticking for the for the most part during his career. Um, it's, it's going to be tough to forecast where that looks. And, and like I said, Penn State's not going to give anything away. This, this premonition that, that they have all these secrets and everything like that is, is one thing, but you know, on the record, off the record, they don't really talk about injuries. They've, they've been drilled, um, throughout the years since Franklin has been here, not to talk about that stuff, even just in a casual manner. Um, so you're not going to get much from Clifford. I, I personally, just looking at that and knowing what I know about rib injuries, which I'm not, obviously not a doctor, um, would not expect him back for Illinois. Um, you know, I think that's a really good opportunity, um, for Taquan Roberson or, you know, maybe even get some Christian Bay air snaps in there um, because Illinois is not good. Uh, it's big on the running game. It's it's really maybe not so much about Sean Clifford's availability, but the ripple effect there. It's the running game that we've talked about so much. You talked about after the game, Jahan Dotson's involvement with with Clifford versus with uh, Taquan Roberson. So um, I can't believe we're saying this after the year and the, the last year, but Clifford is just the key cog in everything. And, and if you take take that out, you, you're wondering what kind of football team this is. You saw that in the second half against Iowa, and that was very, very um, uh, ugly. Um, I don't know if there's any better word for that. Um, Maybe a better but, word. Uh, you're you probably see shouldn't you say get. it here. Yeah, that, that, that's true. That's you check our check our mentions on Twitter. There's plenty of those words, um, but very very ugly. And uh, you know you're going to get a chance. It, it's a different environment. You you get uh, a noon game at home against a not so good opponent. Uh, you should be able to run the ball a little bit better. But we we've said that a couple of times this year. So that ripple effect is the biggest thing with Clifford because you're you're aiming for that Ohio State game. Um, if you can get him back from that, great. If not, that's that's terrifying to think about um, because that's another t- uh, tough environment. But that's that's really when you're talking about these injuries, when you're talking about what you can get from these guys. And PJ Mustafer on crutches is not a good thing. John Lovett don't still don't even know what happened to John Lovett. Uh, you know, there's there's so many guys um, that left that game and did not come back. I know the 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 focus on the Iowa side has been Arnold Ebicati and Devon Ellis, these guys that got hurt and then came back in um, some fairly quickly, some not so quickly, but Penn State lost a lot of guys on Saturday and did not get them back. Well, we have Brandon Marcel already. I do have a lot more to say on, on the Clifford ramifications. Spent some time Saturday night breaking down exactly what happened with this team offensively after he left the game and what that meant for some other pieces, including John Dotson. But right now, let's bring in Brandon Marcello because we are at the halfway point, not just of the Penn State season, but it's a good chance to check in, take the temperature of college football at large. And the Big Ten is a main conversation. It was uh, a main topic for Brandon in one of his weekly columns coming out of this weekend. And what a weekend it was, Brandon, as someone who loves football as much as you do. Thanks for clearing your schedule here for a bit on Monday, because I know you have a lot to talk about and a lot to write about after what we saw go down. Yeah, um, Monday mornings for me is like when my head actually gets cleared and I start looking back at what I wrote and going, okay, now I understand the actual significance of this or whatever, uh, instead of just these gut reactions. And, uh, 
I mean, obviously it was just a crazy, you know, Saturday. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. And um, what we're seeing though now is that I think anybody that was doubting that this might be the most chaotic college football season of the modern era at this point, their eyes are starting to open a little bit and realizing, you know what, every week we're going to have something weird happening in a matchup. And um, because if Alabama, which is still a great team this year, despite what happened Saturday, if they can lose to a very, very average Texas A&M team on the road, anything can happen with anybody uh, probably in that top five, other than maybe Georgia, just because of that defense. But even so, Georgia allowed Auburn to march right down the field on them uh, early in their game. And uh, so... You prepare enough, and you got a much more explosive offense. Maybe Georgia could be taken down too. But at this point, I mean, I, the playoff field outside of Georgia is completely open. There, there's probably someone right now in the top 15 that's going to end up being in the in the top four by the end of the year. Brandon, you did a good job breaking down the significance of this year and just where the playoff conversation needs to go moving forward. I do want to talk about that with you in a moment. But your subheadline on your weekly overreactions piece. I think our listeners were interested in that one. Your top subhead there, Penn State should still be undefeated. I'm going to hand the microphone to you on that one. Yeah, I mean, just look what what they were doing with Sean Clifford in the game. They had 208 yards, I think, before he got injured there in the second quarter. Then after that, 50 yards. Um, And they had a double-digit lead. I think Penn State would have not only won that game, obviously, but they would have won it by double digits. They would have beaten Iowa. I think Iowa would have... Not they've been pushing a little bit too much offensively once they got into the fourth quarter because there would have been a wider gap, and that would have led to probably some turnovers uh, or just some really quick drives at end, and that would have opened the door even more for Penn State to move down the field. I think they did a fantastic job um, offensively in figuring things out, but when Clifford went down, that completely changed what they could do on offense. The 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 trust factor there wasn't there anymore, and. Um, well, it's too, it's too bad for Penn State because I think fans, when they look back at this season, they're going to go, man, what could have been? We could have could have potentially been a one-loss or maybe undefeated team at the end of the regular season. Brandon, you look at what uh, the, the precedent for, the, for things like this when you've got a quarterback that goes down that's such an integral part of your team. Uh, Clemson, you think back a couple years ago with Kelly Bryant when they lost, I believe it was to Syracuse. Um, so how does the national perception of Penn State change with these college football playoff rankings coming up? And, of course, y- y- we don't know what his availability is going to be, for example, against Ohio State in three weeks. But how do you, how do you balance – what Penn State has done in their body of work versus what Penn State is without Sean Clifford, which is obviously a pretty different team. That'll be one of the more interesting things if if Sean Clifford returns and they just keep winning and they beat Ohio State on the road because those first rankings, I think, come out that very next week, the playoff rankings, very first ones. And if Penn State is just outside the top four, I mean – I mean, I think we all know they're probably going to get a playoff, you know, if they win out. But if they have them lower, then I'll show you right there. They don't they didn't really put a lot of stock in, um, uh, or should, I should say, that the idea that you just said there that, oh, Sean Clifford was out, but it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a huge deal. And I think the playoff committee will realize that. But I think the only significant movement or moment we'll notice that is that first set of rankings and if – Penn State beats Ohio State 
the day before Halloween. Because otherwise, I mean, obviously, Penn State loses that game. No playoff hopes, and it doesn't really matter where you rank at that point unless you want to get New Year's Six. But uh, you went out, and if Clifford comes out, uh, you know, Clifford uh, comes back uh, this month, um, I, that's one of the more interesting things to me. Is where's that committee put Penn State um, on that first uh, Tuesday, I guess, in November? Brandon, we get a bye week here to kind of catch our breath and, and think about where Penn State is six weeks in. I, I know there's no bye week on the national beat, and, and you do a great job covering it. But how about Penn State in reality right now, five and one coming off that loss to Iowa versus maybe where you were going into this season? Because let's face it, everyone was trying to figure out the Nittany Lions after 2020. Yeah, I mean, I was waffling on Penn State uh, going into last week. I thought Iowa was going to beat them like in a 20 to 10 game. I didn't think Penn State's offense was going to get anything going. I know Penn State beat Auburn, but you know, watching that game live and then looking over it again, I was like, that does not look like a team that's going to win the Big Ten. Um, but the way they performed uh, in those for that first quarter or half against Iowa, I mean, my eyes were wide open. I went, wow, this team seems to just do whatever they have to to win games, and no one can really fight against that uh, from an opponent's standpoint. But I mean, as soon as I mean, we all know, as soon as Clifford went down, it just they look completely different. And um, I, 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 I'm, I was as high on Penn State as I've ever been when they when they built that lead against against Iowa. And um, I'm still high on them. if Clifford comes back, I'm going to be high on them again. It's just they got so much working against them at this point. And um, I think Ohio State is better than Iowa. I don't know if a lot of people would argue against that at this point, even though Iowa's number two in the rankings and in my rankings, but you know, Ohio state's better overall than Iowa. But, um, but if Penn state goes in there and beats Ohio state, I think you got to start looking at that and going, you know, should Ohio state and Iowa, if Iowa still had to feel that point, maybe Ohio state and Iowa should be in the top four in those first set of rankings. But the committee will, won't do that just because of, you know, um, uh, eyeballs they don't want to maybe upset some people brandon you have five big 10 teams in the top 10 of the ap poll is the big 10 that good i mean what why why are we here what what, what how did we get here they're undefeated and uh they're playing against each other at the right time the top 10 type teams have been playing against each other and then now however we're getting into the portion of the season where you're going to have three or four of them fall out quickly um and and because of the matchups coming up you know, I think the most surprising team, to be quite honest with you, in that top 10 right now is not Michigan State. I think it's Michigan, to be quite honest. That's a team that sh probably should have two losses on their on their docket right now, um, including this past week at Nebraska. Um, and by the way, Nebraska, I mean, we all know, is just playing so much better here these last three weeks. I've been very impressed there with what Scott Frost has done. It seemed like a completely uh, lost cause there. But... Um, you know, I've got a lot of confidence actually in Michigan State uh, because I, I don't know about their defense, but offensively, they've got so many weapons, and it's not just Kenneth Walker at running back. Um, at receiver, they've got like two to three guys that can really turn to at any moment. Um, the quarterback, obviously, you know, Peyton is just he's on every week, and uh, they're going to – I think that, you know, they haven't played, obviously, a very tough schedule. We all know that. But 
I think they're probably going to like wake some people up here in this back half of the schedule, even though they're going against a much tougher schedule. Um, I don't see them really folding, so to speak. I think that's a team that by the end of the year may very well still be, you know, a top 15 program. We talk about Penn State all the time here, but with you, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the national conversation too. Alabama coming off that loss to Texas A&M. Georgia's at number one. No one can move the ball. No one can score against the Bulldogs. How firmly are you feeling that Georgia is the better team in 2021 and they're capable of knocking Alabama off that SEC pedestal? I'm very confident now I am because – it's been two teams now that have moved the ball against Alabama, Texas A&M and Florida, Florida just absolutely did whatever they wanted to do in the second half of their loss. And Florida is just a little bit above average this year. Um, they're not as good as they were last year. And, uh, Texas A&M, as I said, is very average. They had a fantastic game plan and scheme, but listen, Zach Calzada played the, the game of his life so far. But that ain't Cal- Zach Calzada week to week at quarterback. He does not play like that. He seemingly only has one speed when he's throwing the ball, and that's just bullet passes. But he had some touch in those in that game, and his receivers made plays for him. Um, the thing that worries me about Alabama is that they don't seem to have the speed on the edges to stop teams anymore, and that's kind of mind-boggling to me when I watch them. That's how Florida had a lot of success, and that's how AM had a lot of success. Also, um, they're not as good at linebackers as I thought they would be. They're getting their eyes mixed up quite a bit in the passing game, which that is like an absolute no-no Nick Saban system. But usually that is not – I mean, if it's an issue early in the season, it's not an issue at the midpoint. And here we are at the midpoint, and they've got some major issues, and we've seen it in two games. So Georgia, no one has challenged them uh, defensively. Um, and Georgia's offense is, it's great. It's not elite. And I keep waiting for JT Daniels to come back, um, at quarterback, but I don't see anybody standing in their way. The only team that's going to give them any trouble the rest of the way until they get to the SEC championship game is Florida. And that's because of Florida's offense, but Georgia's defense has got enough to where they can win a game 28 to 21 or something like that, uh, in that one. So. Uh, I think at the end of the year, we're going to be sitting back on, you know, Florida's offense that had the most success against Georgia. And even so, it was probably like three touchdowns. So, um, you know, last week, going into last week, I said that I would put Georgia number one if JT Daniels was healthy. But obviously, after this week, it's it's a no-brainer now. They're number one, no matter who the quarterback is. And Stetson Bennett has been playing pretty well. He's kind of – I want to say he's like Sean Clifford, but he's got that veteran savvy about him. He just doesn't really make mistakes anymore. And Stetson Bennett, former walk-on, has been there forever, understands everything, just doesn't get him in trouble and does enough to to get him down the field and and score points. JT Daniels, though, he's like a step and a half above that. He'll make those big plays and big moments you need. And uh, at some point, Georgia's going to need that, whether it's against Florida later this year or uh, probably Alabama in the SEC championship. Brandon, I've got what is labeled here as the only correct rankings in college football. So congratulations on your accuracy there. Yeah, it's um, crazy. But uh, your top uh, 30 has Georgia number one, Iowa number two, Cincinnati, Alabama, Michigan State at number five, ahead of Ohio State at number six, Oklahoma at number seven, Oregon at number eight, Michigan at number nine, Penn State at number 10. 
realistically, how, how many playoff contenders are you seeing out of this group? And, and, you know, it's been pretty cut and dry the last several seasons. Um, but chaos, as you mentioned, has reigned supreme this year. How many playoff contenders are you seeing out of that? Not only that group, but you, you go on to with Kentucky, Ole Miss, Coastal Carolina, Oklahoma State, undefeated Wake Forest, and then Florida for your top 16. I mean, what, what are you seeing out of this group? A team from the top 15 is going to be in the playoff this year. That's in the top 15 right now. They're going to jump up and be in the playoff. Who's that going to be? There's so much parity in that group. I, I don't know. Um, you know, things will be absolutely chaotic if Cincinnati loses at some point, which I am not ruling out, especially with the way Navy's playing. I know that sounds weird or whatever, but uh, watch out. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at that list right now. I really, like I said, I really like Michigan State because they've got different types of weapons on offense that could get them into a championship-type run here, despite not playing a really tough schedule so far. But, you know, the weakest team in that group, um, there's three, and they're all grouped together, and it's 7-8-9. It's Oregon and OU and Michigan. OU's going to lose at some point. They've got hope restored there because of Caleb Williams, at quarterback, but even today – Lincoln Riley's not ready to say that Spencer Rattler is completely benched, which is crazy to me because I think it's pretty clear that Caleb Williams, the freshman phenom, should be their quarterback after putting up 300 yards and leading them to scoring drives on eight drives after they benched Rattler. Um, you know, in that top 15, though, I really like um, I really like Ohio State, um, and I, I like Michigan State. I I, I think that. It's very possible one of those two, obviously, will will be in the playoff. Um, the Big Ten strength of schedule and the Big Ten strength right now, obviously the best in the country, and that's going to help them, and it's going to help them potentially keep two teams in the top ten for most of the season. But as I said, there's going to be a group of them that are going to fall out here the next few weeks. But to me right now, it's Michigan State and Ohio State. And, um, you know, until Michigan State loses a game, i got to keep them right above – uh, the Buckeyes, but um, I mean, the Buckeyes certainly look a lot better here these last few weeks, and and CJ Stroud looks healthy and he's playing like it. Can't can't you just flip flop Michigan and Michigan State every week and just take the clout from that? Because I know that would just set everybody ablaze. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, here's what's crazy: is we're about to go. We're potentially. It looks like it's going to happen. The biggest battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy in like sixty years. They, they haven't both been in the top 10 since, like, I think, 64 or something like that, or um, eh, which is kind of insane to me. There's been some top 15 matchups, but not top 10. But I'm sitting there thinking, so that means Michigan's going to lose it's before that they end up playing that, doesn't it? But, you know, they got Northwestern, and the schedule lines up, bye weeks and everything. That uh, That's going to be a huge game here in, in two weeks. I can't wait to watch it, and I think Michigan State's going to come out on top. I mean, here's the thing with Michigan – I mean, every week they just seem stale in the second half offensively, and they just hang on. That Rutgers game just completely made me go, Ugh. and Nebraska too. But, um, you know, we'll see. I, Michigan State just seems like a better team top to bottom right now. Sean, I know you want that soundbite of, of him with the Rutgers game making him say, uh, and just use it so much and liberally through. Brandon, I'm a, I'm a Rutgers grad, so that, that little clip is going to find its way back Ooh. onto the show at some point. It's okay. Um, Brandon, I, I do want to, you know, we're talking about so many Big Ten teams that want to prove that they're a playoff contender. Ohio State, Penn State coming up in a couple of weeks. Michigan State, Michigan in a couple of weeks. 
Then Penn State's got to see both those teams from Michigan in November. So this thing will sort itself out. At the end of this, though, you're looking at a 12-team playoff format. And then we'd be able to talk about a few of these teams maybe having some rematches down the road. That ain't happening right now. But realistically, this is something you covered a bit in your overreactions piece. Because of the chaos, it feels like it's needed more than ever to figure this thing out. A few extra weeks to sort through the madness. What do you think realistically the playoff could expand? And and how soon could that actually happen? Well, um, first off, if we had a 12-team playoff this year, I guarantee you one of the top four teams would lose um, in, the, in the first two rounds. They wouldn't even be in the semifinals. There would be an upset of some sort, much like A&M this, this past week. You know, some type of middle-of-the-road team just knocking one of them off. Um, you know, I, the feeling here is that they're not going to expand until 2027, and it'll end up being 12 teams. Because at this point, it obviously just makes the most financial sense. Um, and, you know, in the interim, if they try to expand before 2027, they're not going to go to eight. They're going to go to 12 because that's the only way they will actually get more money out of their TV contract with ESPN. Because the big thing right now is you wait till 2027, then you can put your TV deal out in the open market. Fox can bid on it, Amazon, Netflix, whatever, um, and ESPN. You don't do it, you do it now, so to speak, in these next three years. Um, it's ESPN's deal through 2027, and the only way to restructure it is if you go to 12. If you go to 8, ESPN just pays what it's paying now. So they get more free product, which would be gangbusters for them. And so I think eight teams at this point is a complete non-starter. But beyond that, which that's what's going to drive all this, but beyond that, I don't see it expanding before 27 because at this point they've got to meet at least one more time before sending a recommendation to the board of managers to vote on for approval. And they don't even have a meeting date set. And Bill Hancock told me last week while I was in Dallas that um, not only do they not have a date set, but they need to get this done, signed, sealed and delivered by the end of the year. So that's two and a half months away and they don't even have a, meet a follow-up meeting scheduled right now to even say hey here are the ideas let's vote on it and send that recommendation to the board of managers but i, I wrote my overreactions piece that in college football uh, even in administration emotions override business sense and we saw that this summer with the playoff they were i mean listen they're gonna rubber i don't care what anybody says bill hancock or anything and i love bill hancock but they were just going to rubber stamp that thing in September and go 12 teams. Let's start in 23. Let's go. Um, and then OU and Texas went to the SEC and everybody's feelings got hurt. And they didn't trust the people who were involved in the process of expanding the playoff and making the recommendation, namely Greg Sankey, uh, the SEC commissioner. And so everybody's going, well, let's tap our brakes a little bit. Let's, let's look at this situation. Nothing's really changed other than yet two teams leave a conference. The logistics of this 12-team playoff hasn't changed. The idea of this amount of you know automatic qualifiers getting in and this amount of teams getting in, nothing has changed. But now they're saying we need to look at whether we need to have these games on campus or not. That has that was never really an issue, and now it is. They're making things up to pause this, just in spite of Sankey making that that move behind closed doors, and um, but. As I said, emotions drive things. Emotion drove that. If this chaos continues this season, 
You don't think uh, Bob Bowlesby, if he has a one-loss OU or something like that, and they're outside the top four, going into that final week of the rankings, he's not going to be like, you know what, we need to have an expanded playoff quickly because we keep getting left out, and also we're about to lose OU and our conference is about to come weaker, and we're never going to be in this spot for the next six years, five years. Same in the Pac-12. Same thing could happen with Oregon. Um I think that uh, when the reality starts to hit them here, potentially, they'll all come together and go, oh, let's get this done. Let's do it. Let's just do it. Why, 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 why did we freak out? Why were we, why were we in a haze for three months? And uh, I think that's a way we see this playoff be expanded before 2027. And I think a lot of that, I don't think it's going to be anything behind closed doors that gets that done. I think it's actually what's going to propel that is what happens on the field this season. Because that immediacy, the recency bias, so to speak, is what's going to drive a decision if one's made before the end of December. Well, Brandon, we really appreciate it. I always enjoy taking some time Sunday and Monday to check out your content because when you cover one team, you've done it. It's hard to keep your head on a swivel and see everything else that's happening. Make it a little easier serving it up in your columns. Where can our listeners find your coverage on a daily basis? Uh, I'm on Twitter, like everybody, at Marcello, And uh, I'm on Instagram trying to act like I'm hip. Uh, Brandon.Marcello, or no, wait, what is it? Brandon Marcello. See, look, I sound like a <laughs> Brandon Marcello on uh, Instagram and, uh, you know, 247sports.com. All right, Brandon. Thank you so much. Good to hear from you. Um, keep up the great coverage. We appreciate you taking some time for us. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brandon. All right. Thanks to Brandon, who for a while there was covering Auburn, did a tremendous job covering that squad, and a few years ago made the jump and has really just run with it here with 24-7 sports and keeping his eye on everything. And, I mean, let's face it, Sean, everyone can kind of him and haw about the Big Ten right now, or you can get as excited about it as you want with all these teams up top. But in about three weeks, a bunch of teams are going to be feeling a lot worse about themselves, and that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, Michigan State, I looked at their schedule when he was talking, and he seems confident in them, but they, they've got to play Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State in the last two, uh, last month and a half of the season. Yeah, That's that's an interesting stretch right there. Now, Mel Tucker's done a phenomenal job. Um, obviously, I think they've exceeded expectations already, um, but that's a – that's a that's a tall ask of them. He seemed pretty confident in the Spartans, but uh, that's a pretty tall ask. I still I still like where Ohio State stands uh, heading into uh, the second half of the season. We will find out soon enough. And that final game of the year, because of, of, of a schedule switch last winter, does send Penn State on the road to East Lansing to play Michigan State uh, in week number or game number twelve of the year. So we'll see what's at stake in that matchup. Uh, Sean, circling back, we we spent some time there at the top with Sean Clifford. I just want to get back to that for a moment here. Because going through the stat sheet, and what a stat sheet that was to go through in the wee hours of the morning uh, on Sunday. Um, one thing that stood out was the lack of involvement for Jahan Dotson. I was double checking that he didn't get involved as a runner because I didn't remember that. He did not. He got one opportunity to, to field a punt. It was a one-yard gain. Beyond that, he was targeted seven times after Sean Clifford left the game. Two catches, five yards, one interception came from those targets, Sean. And and I think I mentioned this on the post-game podcast, the series that Sean was on the field and they got a field goal and then he was hurt. So his final possession, five receptions for Jahan Dotson on that one possession alone. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was tough to track for Jahan Dotson because they they want obviously wanted to get the ball to him um, and just couldn't, especially down the field. Um, you know, he's your guy that's going to make that game changing play. And and when the ball hangs up there like that, there's not a ton you can do, especially against some really really good defensive backs uh, that Iowa brought to the table. So you got to wonder how much of a security blanket he can be versus how much of a big play threat he can be. And maybe that's what you work through against Illinois because um, it's, it's really a tough situation. You want Roberson to be as confident as he can. And, and it's, it helps to have a guy like Dotson out there. Um, but you got to figure out a different way to get him the ball. You got to figure out a way to get him the ball a lot. Um, again, we got, you, you, you got to see a running game develop here and, and that hasn't happened. So maybe Dotson's the answer to that too. So we'll see what happens uh, with that. And, and of course he's, he's completed two passes this year. So maybe you get a chance to, uh, to, to let him throw the ball a little bit. He's, he's your best player. You got to lean on him. You got to figure out how he can help out your young quarterback while putting points on the board as well. Um, and, and just go from there. So I don't know how it's going to happen. They got two weeks to get it going. Um, you know, we, we joke all the time about the bye week always coming at the right time, but if you don't have your quarterback ready to go, your starting quarterback ready to go, two weeks is a, a nice little runway to, uh, to getting Illinois at home. I mean, you heard it from Brandon right there. He's got to keep tabs on, you know, 30 teams essentially right now. And he's basically putting Penn State on the back burner and saying, let me see two weeks from now if Sean Clifford is healthy, what, what the deal is. Right now, everyone's kind of putting Penn State in this you know, separate area. Purgatory, yeah. Yeah, purgatory because they can't figure out, okay, this team looks like they might be the best team in the Big Ten. But also, they could absolutely flame out down the stretch when you look at their schedule and you look at what happened when Sean Clifford wasn't on the field. You got these two weeks here with Mike Yersich, and if it's apparent to your staff, I don't know if it is now or if it will be within the next few days, that you're not going to have Sean Clifford for at least one game then you've got to start to replan things. I mean, you know, Franklin said, hey, we had the same plan for for uh, for our pre-snap plan that, that we have with Sean. It worked fine with that with Sean. It worked, didn't work without Taquan Robertson. Now, you're not going to have the road deal. You're not going to have the crowd. You're not going to have that Iowa defense across from you. But clearly, you can't just anticipate, hey, Taquan, here's what Sean's been doing. If you could just go out and do that, that'd be perfect. And you wish right now, don't you, that the Nittany Lions had some kind of legitimate momentum on the ground that you could say, Look, Taquan, turn around, hand the ball off. We have confidence the rushing game is going to get it done. I know it's Illinois. Shouldn't be a problem. But, man, I don't think you can take anything for granted after what we saw for the final 40 minutes of offensive play on Saturday night. You want to block it out of your memory, but do you have to revert back to last year, the end of last year, when, okay, this is what we have to do to win a football yeah. game, you know, and, and you, you run your quarterback 25 times. So there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you got to figure out a, a way to not only try and develop, I mean, it's so tough to develop a guy mid season, um, but you got to put points on the board first and then see if you can work your magic and, and see what happens. Because as you mentioned, Penn State might be in purgatory. If they lose a game, they're completely out of the picture. And, and with Ohio State in three weeks, that's that's the that's the reality of the situation. So it's going to be very tough for for Penn State to sort of walk that line between can you get this guy ready for the end of the year or, or the the stretch run or whatever it might be versus all of a sudden one loss and you're done. And if anyone's out there screaming from the shadows for for Christian Veyer to come in and play quarterback. I still think you're probably far more likely to see Tyler Warren come in and play substantial snaps at quarterback than you would be. I don't think that you're going to see Warren come in and, and run this offense, Sean, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're quick, especially in short yardage situations, especially near the goal line. If it's Taquan Roberson show at quarterback, if they're pretty liberal with, with getting him some reps at quarterback and, and that's something that they may be focusing on a bit, they trusted him enough in big settings, uh, you know, against Auburn to take that ball at, at the goal line. 
I don't know why you wouldn't kind of turn to that if you needed it here against Illinois, because at this point, just get away with the win. Your defense is playing at a high level. There are some questions we'll get to there injury-wise, but you're playing Illinois. This defense should be able to take care of a lot of its business offensively. Just get to the win. See if that extra week buys you some time with Clifford and you got the Buckeyes right around the corner. Well, that depends what substantial means. You know, you don't want to put yourself in that situation where you have to play uh, Tyler Warren more than a handful of snaps at a time. Um, you know, if you need the points that bad, you you definitely uh, whatever up and do it, you know, but uh, it's it, it's not a situation where you want to see him leading a drive. And I wouldn't be against seeing Christian Vayar out there um, if you find yourself in a situation where you're taking over at the 35 or 40 and you get you got a little bit of space to work with obviously as we saw last week when you put a quarterback and put their back against the wall an inexperienced quarterback you put their back against the wall bad things tend to happen so i'd like to see they are out there i'd like to see if they can uh you know try and get something out of him because what we saw from roberson and what we've seen from roberson his entire body of work really doesn't inspire that that much confidence. So yes, on Tyler Warren, but uh, uh, the fact is you're going to need an actual quarterback out there. So um, you might as well you might as well go with Vare and see what you have for maybe working a series here and there. I, I think that's correct. The one thing I would worry if that if, if it's rolling with Roberson, and I know that right now that's you have to use your imagination to imagine the offense rolling with Roberson. But if they come out and they look good and they got some rhythm and they're sustaining drives, you probably don't want to interrupt that for him. And so you probably I don't know if you designed to work in Bayer, but if the game dictates that you can, I think we understand the importance of getting guys reps down the depth chart at quarterback, right? So do that if you can with Christian Bayer. Um, we'll have a lot of time to talk about this and, and whether it's me or Mark and you and whatever moving forward, because that is the conversation at quarterback. But, you know, one thing that scares you a, a bit, especially with what lies ahead in the Big Ten, is the status of P.J. Mustafer because came off the field early in that matchup against Iowa and clearly you said, OK, that's not good. He's been playing at an extremely high level. He's going up against arguably the best center in college football. And I thought overall, collectively, that defensive front really held up well over the course of this game. And defensively, we got to talk about them more in a moment. But P.J. Muster's off the field for you for a while here. That presents a lot of issues. And he was on crutches in that second half against Iowa. They get a chance to come home, have a lot more in front of them medically, what, what, what they can evaluate versus when you're on the road in a visiting stadium, you're very restricted. So they have some answers there, I'd imagine, by now. And um, it's, it's one that we won't have an answer on for a little while. Uh, but, but this is one that I think not as big as Sean Clifford, but out of everybody else we're going to talk about, this is the injury you got to keep the closest eye on. Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. This is guy, this guy is your most consistent defensive lineman. Um, I know you get a little bit more splash from the guys on the outside, but you're taking away what 75% of your snaps at defensive tackle right there uh, for, for one of your defensive tackle spots. So that's, that's really tough to, to, to overcome a guy that's played a lot of football. Tangelo obviously has played a lot of football beside him, but you know, you got a lot of numbers at defensive tackle, but you're, you're scrambling at that point. Devon Ellis has been a pleasant surprise. Cause I Izzard has been a pleasant surprise. You, you have Fred Hanser, you know what you have in Fred Hansard and Vitor Mamulba is still a bit of a mystery, but you don't want to rely on that in three weeks from now when you go to Columbus, because that's a, that's a team that can run straight at you and run straight over you. So um, it's uh, it's really uh, tough to see him go out on that one and and put him on crutches. I mean, I think the good news is that they had, you know, talked to him and put him on a bike and and had him going. But, uh, you know, obviously that's uh, if you're making up a list and I know Penn State's has stayed fairly 
healthy up to this point, you know, outside of Adisa Isaac, you don't have Hakeem Beeman for non-injury reasons, but um, you know, that's a, that's not a deep unit. That's not a deep unit on that, that front seven on at any spot on that front seven. So um, that's where the concern comes in. Cause you still have six games left and you take a player that's been as consistent and as experienced as must for out of the equation. And that's, you've, you're all of a sudden going to have to scramble now again. And, and, and it sounds like we keep playing down playing Illinois, but they're just, they're just not very good. And you get an opportunity to maybe not get a Villanova type experience against these guys where you get a lot of guys in the game, but you have an opportunity to rotate guys through there. And, and so if you're looking for a silver lining there, you've got an opportunity to get Ellie's more snaps as a starter. You have an opportunity to get Mulba in there, Izzard in there, and those guys can really work themselves out. Yeah, just so, so folks know here, uh, Illinois coming off a 24 to nothing loss to Wisconsin. They lost 13 to nine to Purdue. Uh, they lost to Maryland. They lost 24 to points against Wisconsin's. <laughs> it's like they, 50 for anybody they lost, else. <laughs> they lost to Texas San Antonio. So yeah, it has not been an ideal situation for, for the, uh, the, the Illini this season, who we saw late last year, remember in that the bonus big 10 week or whatever they were phrasing it as and, and getting toward late December and Penn state took it to them Uh new season this year. And, and certainly we still wonder about Sean Clifford, but yes, a good game to come out of the bye week against um, as well. Sean in, in the running back room. Now we have these injury questions. And like you said, no idea what's going on with John Lovett. He was on the field. He was uh, involved in kickoff return, but not on offense. And then in the second half, he didn't even have a Penn state uniform on. So don't know what happened with John Lovett, who got 25 total touches the previous two games, seemed to be the most uh, ascending figure in that backfield. And then Devin Ford, according to James Franklin, not available for this team late. He got the start. He only touched the ball twice on offense, but he got the start. And so I don't know where it is, but here's the update on Noah Kane. Other than that fourth quarter against Wisconsin, Sean, when he had six carries and three catches and 75 total yards scored touchdown, was so important to them in week one winning that game. The other 24 quarters, I'm sorry, it's it's yeah, 23 quarters combined in the season now, 67 total touches, 193 total yards. That uh, under 200 total yards on 67 touches for Noah Kane. Um, that, it's just a really tough number to look at right now, halfway through the season. It is, and uh, you know you've got a little bit of uh, of numbers there. You, you're better off than last year in terms of um, the guys that you have available for you. Do you see Kaziah Holmes come? into that role. And I know you came, but I'm thinking more about Lovett and Ford. If they're going to miss any yeah. time, do you see Kaziah Holmes? There's been chatter that, that a red shirt would be available to him. He's played against ball state. He's played against Villanova. So he has two games to work with and that gives you a little bit of a buffer. And that's the kind of the best part about this four game rule. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be a, a, a scenario where you have to figure out who your third back is. I think, you know, Kane is not himself, but he's still a guy that you're trotting out there. You're going to trot out there regardless. Um, Kevon Lee has been up and down as well. So I, I, I question the, the production, but you feel better about where you felt a year ago, or at least at this point in the schedule last year, because you have more bodies to work with and hopefully they can get Lovett back. And I didn't see a, an injury for Lovett. I didn't see an injury for Ford, you know, anything that was glaringly obvious. Um, but have to go back and, and, and check that and, and wonder where those guys are standing and you get an extra week of rest. So those guys are veterans, so they'll know how to handle it. They really need that run game if they don't have Sean Clifford. And that's the other thing. How many reps has Taquan Roberson taken with Kaziah Holmes this season? I mean, I, I'd have to imagine those have been few and far between outside of some drill work. And um, Kaziah Holmes, by the way, last time we saw him play significant reps for this Penn State squad, over 90 total yards and two touchdowns against 
Illinois. So he has some experience coming off of last year when you needed him, and he is the obvious next man up if, if we're talking about three or four running backs being involved and one or two of them not being available against Illinois. Um, some some other Another name he mentioned, uh, he being James Franklin, not available at the end of the game. Jonathan Sutherland, who's been a two-deep safety special teams captain for the third straight year. A few guys who were out and then came back in. Devon Ellis, I mean, important to see him get back on the field, especially with Mustafer not returning. DeAndre Lambert-Smith, who started off really hot when the passing game was clicking with Sean Clifford, he got back involved. He was actually available for post-game interviews, so that's a great sign. And then Arnold Evicade, who was you know, kind of in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons because of how Iowa's sideline reacted to him being down. He was back in for the game's final snaps as well. Ellis Brooks, by the way, played a lot, played aggressive, played physical. I thought he played the game they needed him to play in, in a lot of regards. He showed up to this game. We weren't expecting it, but he had a, a cast on his right hand covering up all the way toward his thumb. So just something to note there as well. We talked five games, not much about injuries. That, that changes after week six. And again, the bye week lands at the exact spot that Penn State needs it. Yeah, it was the old body bag game adage. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't even think Brooks had that cast on his hand uh, at practice midweek. No, I don't so, remember it. Uh, I, I don't remember off the top of my head as well. Um, but yeah, kudos to Mustafer and, and and Sutherland for sticking to the bit and not returning to the game as Iowa fans <laughs> would have you believe. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a, a beat up unit. It's not a deep unit where if you have a serious injury at say linebacker or something like that, you're all of a sudden going to be in trouble playing young guys and, and, and things like that. So um, rest up, take your time, get back to where you need to be. Um, and hopefully you get some good news on guys like Mustafer and, and, and I know Sutherland's much maligned, but you want to have him out there, especially on special teams. And the more healthy bodies you have for that stretch run, the better off everybody is. Can we also say Tyler Rudolph was not on that travel roster on Saturday at safety. So yeah. let's, you know, let's, let's be realistic about where that safety depth chart is right now. you got Keaton Ellis back, but, Tyler Rudolph not available of late for Penn State on game day. Um, Sean, uh, yeah, I do see. I do, I, I do want to cut in Keaton Ellis. Yeah. I see playing a much bigger role in the second half of the season. Obviously, I think they're going to stick to those front two safeties uh, with with Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker uh, for reps. But I do I do see Keaton Ellis coming on at the second half of the season, playing a much bigger role than we saw in the first half, which honestly wouldn't take that much. Obviously. Sean, you and I spent a bunch of time talking about the quarterback position, the offense uh, on Saturday night, because that's what we had to talk about. That was the only thing to talk about. We went over that quite extensively, but um, I do want to make sure that we circle back and just recognize uh, on a night when the final 11 Penn State possessions, eight of them lasted three plays uh, or less. Uh, this defense kept showing up and giving their offense a chance to squeeze this out. They couldn't get to the finish line. They couldn't prevent that last long touchdown to Iowa, but you asked them to stop Iowa a lot in this game in front of a, in on the road. And I, I just wanted to say this defense showed up to play. This defense played like a six and zero football defense. Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it brings back memories of, of early um, in the last decade in terms of Penn State's offense couldn't do anything. The defense held on as much as they could and just stood withstood a barrage of field position and and you know just running plays and things like that. It's it, it's it was so tough to be put in that situation, and you know they also missed some plays. Tariq Castro Fields would like to have that one over, no doubt about it. Um, but uh, those are when you have those lapses and your offense is playing like it is, it's so much more magnified. You know, you can miss plays from here to there in a game that's 35, 28, but you miss those plays in a game that's, that's 
17 or 20 to 10 or 20 to 13 or whatever it is, it's going to be more magnified. And that's unfortunate for, for Penn state's defense, because you're going to come away thinking that Penn state gave it away at the end in terms of couldn't hold Iowa down. And that's really not the case. You could, you put your back against the wall so many times. And by the way, the big 10 really, really messed up. They gave Michigan's kicker and I forget his name off the top of my head, but I don't they care him, what his name is. He doesn't deserve it. The Iowa guy needs it. Hey, I'm sure he deserves something, a pat on the back or whatever, but, the, but, you you can't watch that game and say that that Iowa's punter was not their MVP, probably their offensive MVP as well. So it's uh, unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, some defensive guys to spotlight. I think Curtis Jacobs played well, which is interesting because Curtis Jacobs is there and that position, that Sam position is there to play against a passing offense, to play against a team that's that's going to spread you out. Curtis Jacobs was all over the place the other night. Brooks, you mentioned, um, played one of his better games. We knew that he would be in the, strictly in the spotlight um, against an attack like that. Um, Brisker was back doing Brisker things. Ebikiti, uh got to the quarterback. Jesse Lucetta, um, which surprisingly you did the rundown today. You don't have Lucetta on here. I know he's your boy. Got to keep you um, guessing. Yeah, that's. Uh, but he he played a, a pretty good game as well. So no real qualms with the defense. Obviously a big play here and there. But uh, when you get put in that sc- scenario several times over and over and over again, it's unfortunately going to happen. Arnold Ebikiti, um is putting together an all big 10 first team conversation season right now. I mean, yeah. it, there's no way around it. Um, he has answered every bell. I picked him as a breakout. I know that he was a logical pick for you also coming into the season. Everything you heard about this limited things we had seen from him suggested it would be the case. He's got a sack in every big 10 game so far. He had three and a half tackles uh, for loss on the road. I just, can't wrap my head around just how impressive he has been from the jump coming from Temple. I know Penn State had to fight a little bit down the final stretch to make sure he was transferring to Penn State in January. Boy, has it paid off. And I just wanted to give him a little bit more of a spotlight here because he's coming off yet another sensational game. He has answered the bell at every turn. He has also dealt with being banged up in some of these big situations and keeps coming back on the field and competing. And, oh, by the way, he was recognized uh, in our national rundown by 24-7 Sports with spotlights the top transfer performances of the week. He was the lead in that conversation this week. And looking big picture, he's going to be a guy that Penn State leans on for their next transfer recruiting. Oh, yeah. um, season because you need another defensive end. I think you look at what's out there or excuse me, what's on the roster. And, you know, Jesse Lucetta still has a, another year left. If they want to use his COVID year, I'm not co- entirely convinced that's going to happen, but you probably need another defensive end. Those guys, uh, Townley and, and uh, uh, Rodney McGraw are the guys that are lower on the, on the, uh, on the depth chart. Of course, Smith Vilbert's still a work in progress. Zariah Fisher is probably still a year away. Um, so you, you've got some guys developing, but you'd love to bring in, a guy that can start right away, a guy that can be an impact player like Ebikiti, and now you have the blueprint, and you're you can say that that we are a program that develops these guys and gets them ready in the draft for for the draft in one year, and it might be a Temple guy, it might be a guy in that conference that can come up and and try to improve his draft stock, and that's that's really what you're pitching for. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, this is it's going to help them in a lot of ways, and and a lot of these guys have seen the field. Even even AJ Litton getting a lot of getting a lot of run on special teams. It's not like guys are coming here and waiting for their turn. They were told they could compete for opportunities, and, and everybody to some degree. John Lovett, for whatever reason, it's been uh, kind of a roller coaster ride with his availability, but everybody has been involved. Um, and, and of course, Ebikade and and Derek Angelo, a very important pickup there at defensive tackle as well. So, Sean, I know that whatever happens moving forward here is I get into 
the diaper changing mode and, and, and everything that my life is going to entail, you're going to do a great job covering what this bye week is all about. And Mark Brennan's going to hop on. You got recruiting to talk about. Um, anything in the works upcoming that you want to tease? We've got a couple recruit interviews along the uh, that are you know set up, and I, and I say that uh, I don't want to commit too much to it because they <laughs> we have scheduled them, but they are recruits, so these things yes. fall by the wayside. But Deny Dennis Sutton says he will join us. Lamont Payne, uh, the 2023 commit, says he will join us. So we'll try and keep uh, keep on our toes. We've got some some air to fill this week with you not here. Um, that's a lot of air to fill. That's a lot uh, of but, air. <laughs> uh, but uh, hopefully we we bring you back uh, some quality content even during the bye. I hope everyone gets a chance to to breathe. Um, Think, look back on this first half of the season, and um, you know I think you can feel pretty good. But of course, you you got to look forward, and that's where that's where the uh, uh, the nerves will come in. But uh, so far, so good for Penn State. It's just a matter of, of figuring out where they're at in two weeks. All right, we will look forward. But our mailbag question, Sean asked us to look backward for just a bit here. So that five star mailbag, you can drop your question on the Apple Podcast. I'll leave a five star rating and review, and whatever you're wondering about Penn State football or recruiting, we'll get to it here on an episode down the road. Here's the question today. How did this first half of the Penn State season compare to what you expected coming out of August? Kind of like what I threw to Brandon Marcello. I, I thought it was a good thing to toss his way, but you and I have spent a long time combing through the roster, combing through storylines. Now we've seen six games, tangible evidence, a strange way to see the final one play out. Where are you at on this? I mean, I, I had him at nine and three coming into the season because I didn't trust what Sean Clifford could do. And it's, that's been, you know, that, that's been completely the, the opposite of what's happened. You're five and one and you're, you're mad that you're not six and oh, and that's a, that's a good spot to be in, in the, in the big picture. Now, of course you got six games left, so you got to figure out how that's, that's all going to come together. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're pleased with what's happened so far. You're obviously pleased with the development of Sean Clifford. You can hang that your hat on that. If you're Mike Yersich and sort of go out there and you, you, your quarterback recruiting is done for the class of 2022, but moving forward, try and make yourself more viable in the quarterback market. So um, that certainly will help. Um, they, they've held up uh, until this week fairly healthy. Um, that was a concern coming in. You look back to um, you know our preseason content. I know you tweeted this the other day. Your concern number one was quarterback two, and all of a sudden you find yourself at, after game six there. Um, and by the way, I somebody picked the wrong person to go after for that because Tyler has asked more questions about Roberson and the quarterback uh, backup quarterback situation than the rest of the beat combined. So <laughs> you've been all over that. It's obviously not what you were setting up and not where you want it to be. No. Um, but you're, you're the guy that's been all over that. But uh, so the first half of the season, you know, you go back and you tell a fan you'll be five and one, especially with that game uh, against Wisconsin on the road. Um, it's, you know, you feel pretty good about that record overall, but you're just kind of kicking yourself about how it came about in the last week or so. So I'm I'm feeling good about Penn State's situation and the first half of the, of the season, but we always look forward here, and that's going to be where it gets a little bit dicey. Yeah, I had them at four and two uh, at, at through six games. That's where I thought they would be. I thought they would lose the first game. You and I both picked them to lose that game going to Madison, and I picked them to win every game since then. But forecasting it back in you know that, those final days of August, I thought they would. Uh, drop a second game and I anticipated it would be the trip to Iowa but if you told me that you had this Sean Clifford for 24 quarters in these six games uh yeah I mean I'd feel like you're a 6 and 0 team and we talked about that but you got that one loss and that's not going to disappear from your record no matter how you got there and I know Iowa fans will be very quick to remind us both of that so I I look at where they are right now and I think that the biggest question I put my number one storyline I'm looking back at my my top 10 storylines going into the season one was the depth at quarterback. We talked a lot about that. The other was 
transfer portal? Would it pay off? You took such a, a deep dive. You're counting on all these guys. I just said that that has paid off tenfold. I think transfer, um, you know, hitting to that degree and that percentage, there's not a single guy that they've added that you're saying it doesn't look like he belongs here. You know, everything we've seen validates why you would bring these guys, whether they were at the power five level before or they were a level of college football below. They have looked the part. And I understand why Penn State, Penn State staff wanted them. And I don't think they're at where they are right now if they don't add some of these players. Um, I think the second starting safety spot, not only have, did they figure who out that was going to be, Sean, but they hit a home run there as well. I'm not saying Jair Brown is an All-American right next to a potential All-American with Jaquan Brisker, but I know that, man, James Franklin and Brent Pry and I'm sure Anthony Poindexter feel really good about how that tandem is playing, how they trust each other. And I think that is a level uh, of, of experience and trust and accountability in that back end of this defense that it's just it's in a different place than it has been even during some of Penn State's more successful runs under James Franklin. And I think that tandem's a big part of it. And then I would say expectations wise, I mean, I can't believe the conversation we're having about this running back group right now. I cannot believe that we're saying, man, can someone step up? I mean, maybe John Lovett was the guy, but we're coming off a game where we didn't see him. So I, I just really can't wrap my head around. You know, whether you want to point to the offensive line here or the coaching staff or the tight ends and, and what they're doing as blockers, but the running backs are part of that and the running backs on their own haven't seen anybody bail out take one. You know, I didn't see anybody bail out take one Roberson. No one was ready to step up and be that guy late in the game. And, and medical stuff is clearly playing a role with some of these players, but the inefficiency at running back and the fact that we're kind of saying, hey, they went for 200 yards against Indiana. But then, you know, don't look at the Villanova box score. Don't look at the Wisconsin box score. Don't look at this last box score because it's really ugly. And that is stunning to me as, as much as there are really pleasant surprises offensively, especially starting with Sean Clifford and getting the third wide receiver and Keandre Lambert. This running back room, I, I just don't know why the wheels have come off, but it's been kind of that way since this team hit the field in week one. You would think that if you're five and one after six games that, you know, Noah Kane's probably approaching uh, 600 yards by now and you, you feel really good about where you stand up front and rather it's been Clifford that's carried the weight. And uh, that's that that's the tough part to swallow moving forward is you don't know how long you're going to be without him. And without him, you're a completely different ballgame or, or a bit completely different team. Yeah, it's like the, the aspect of this offense that you thought that they would lean on got flipped on its head. And now you're kind of taking that foundation away. And you're wondering, okay, what, what comes next? They have two weeks to figure that out. We have given a lot of credit to Mike Yursich as an offensive mind, as a genius, as a mad scientist. He's got two weeks to scheme up against Illinois. And if he's got to go with his number two quarterback or he's got to go through, through throw some more wrinkles, and I think one of those wrinkles, by the way, it needs to be making sure John Dotson is getting the ball with frequency, regardless of who's playing quarterback. But it, it, this is this is what his job entails. And, and no one's going to feel bad for an offensive coordinator you don't have your number one quarterback. Well, this is big boy football. You want to be a college football playoff contender. You want to be a Big Ten title contender. Recruit, recruit the quarterback room, develop the quarterback room, and play with who's available. Yep. And there's our big, our first big boy football reference there. So uh, you got six games left. Obviously, the, the the bye week at a great time. Illinois at a very good time. And then, you know, that's the your, your season hinges on that next week against Ohio State. Don't want to overlook Illinois, but your season hinges there in Columbus, as it so often does. 
Well, we thank everyone for joining us, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to check into a different reality. Now. You just you just continue talking, just <laughs> delaying the inevitable, right? And that's just you're just going to keep me on here. I don't know what's waiting up there. And, I don't yeah, know I know. what's waiting up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, wish me luck. I'll talk to you all soon whenever I get a chance. But it's in good hands with Sean, and uh, hopefully, have some great news coming your way um, with the arrival of my daughter. In the meantime, thanks as always for listening to the Lions 24/7 podcast, and thanks to our producer Lance Glenn. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.